Hello and welcome once again to episode 42 of Code Completion. We're a group of iOS developers and educators hoping to share what we love most about development, Apple technology, and completing your code. My name is Dimitri and I'll be your host once again for this episode and I'm joined today by my fellow completionist, Spencer. Hey there. So before we get into our main topic, it's time once again for Indie App Spotlight. Today we are checking out Calendar Paste by Christian Tietz an iOS app that makes it easy, easier than ever to deal with reoccurring events. Unlike on the Mac, Calendar for iOS has no way to easily copy and paste the same events over and over again. Calendar Paste fixes this by allowing you to create a template event and use it any time to fill up your calendar with work shifts, meetings, and on-call duties, or any other regularly occurring event that happens well irregularly. Calendar Paste costs just $1.99 on the iOS App Store, and I know you all use your calendar, so please be sure to support Christian by getting Calendar Paste. Are you an indie developer? We want to hear from you. Please reach out to us on Twitter at CodeCompletion via DM so we can spotlight your app into the future as well. Which is a great lead-in to our main topic, accessibility. Isn't it crazy that Apple put no way to copy-paste calendar events into the iOS app of Calendar? Absolutely, especially considering it's there on the Mac. Yeah, I, I use that on the Mac constantly to like fill in like when I work so I can keep track of it. Uh, and I just copy-paste or option click and drag the previous event and like that there's no way to do this on the iphone drives me bananas because i i want to like copy paste there's the location in there there's everything all the metadata is basically there i just want to say do this again today um or at this time um but yeah no no way to do that and that kind of leads into the spirit of accessibility is making it possible to uh use software no matter like what situation you're in uh, whether that's a personal limitation, like you can't physically do something, or if it's a, if it's a situational um, reason, like you can't currently use your hands or something. So uh, having the options there to be able to do stuff in different ways, that all kind of plays into accessibility. Yeah, um, and the reason I, we were kind of talking about this today is um, I recently had kind of one of those experiences where it, temporarily, I needed to use some accessibility features on my phone. Um, I had some surgery on my eyes that um, left me l- legally blind. I couldn't drive or anything uh, for about two weeks. And, and um, I had to crank the, you know, the, the text, the dynamic text size of my phone into even well into the accessibility range. I think it was like the second largest text size you could possibly do to see extra extra large yeah yeah it was insane um i i sent screenshots to dimitri and the other uh code completionists and it was i mean the text is just super chunky and i was still you know holding it very close to my face squinting and i could barely make it out and i ended up listening to you know uh podcasts and audiobooks for almost a week because i really couldn't see anything um And it just got me thinking about, you know, there are people that deal with this every day. And as iOS developers, we really should be thinking about them because it's not an insignificant amount of people. Um, I remember we I'm fairly sure it's a tweet. I'll have to find it. But um, when I taught accessibility, I would always show this tweet that said, uh, based on some analytics from a fairly large app, I can't remember exactly what it was, uh, they noted that over 25% of uh, the users of their app used a non-standard 
uh, text size on their phone, whether that's smaller or larger, it may depend. Some people just, you know, crank it down so they can see even more, but I would probably say there's maybe more that use a larger text size than not. But it, regardless, I was in that situation where most apps at this point did have, uh, like, the ability to scale up their font size, but uh, some didn't, and then I couldn't use them because I literally could not see it. Um, and it just kind of got me thinking about, you know, how can we be better about this? And how can we, you know, if, if you don't know much about accessibility, how can we get started so that even if you are learning app development or if you've been doing this for decades, um, how can we best serve everyone and legitimately not leave out an entire portion of uh, users that probably want to use your app, but if it's not accessible, they can't. Not that they don't want to. They, for whatever the limitation is, they possibly could not be able to do it. And I'd, I'd just like to put this out there as like a first point. Uh, a lot of people might think that there's no financial benefit towards serving like such a small potential market. I want to go out there and say that uh, this is a myth. Uh, this is probably the best like segment of your user base that will uh, most uh, um, enthusiastically push your app and share it by word of mouth and tell others about it because there are so few good apps that, uh, that hit all the points um, right. from an accessibility point of view that if you do put the effort into there and a community learns about your app, they're going to share amongst themselves uh, instantly so you're going to get some of the best users you can get um so j from like the purely economic point of view it's it's almost always worth it to put the effort into it especially considering how little effort is necessary now that's not the reason that you should be doing this but if if that's what guides how much time you're going to spend on an app or right. you're trying to convince your employer uh it's it's oftentimes one of the best one of the best and easiest things that you can go ahead and do, assuming you're not like writing everything from scratch and making your your life a nightmare. Um, but if you are building stuff with regular Swift, Swift UI, UI kit, um, it's fairly standard and fairly easy to add accessibility. In fact, most of your app may already be accessible. You just need to go ahead and audit it and make sure that it is. Um, now that out of the way, there are, like whenever we say accessibility, we tend to think of voiceover. Um, and specifically uh, accessibility for blind users. Um, and that's not that's not where accessibility ends. Now, of course, adding uh, all the functionality that you need for voiceover tends to flesh out the system for everyone else um, for all sorts of different uh, features that, that can be part of your app. For instance, if you don't have the motor capability to use a touchscreen, for instance, you have something called switch controls, and that will navigate through your screen even though you can see it. Um, so it's not necessarily... Uh, it, you're not just adding features for people who can't see your screen. You're adding features that the whole system can go ahead and take advantage of. Um, and uh, like one that whenever we were teaching, uh, for instance, um, I would use the unit testing um, and the UI testing class as like a pivot and just say, okay, like UI testing, this is something you need to do because it's a check mark on a resume. Um, but like, let's go into accessibility and learn about that instead. And, oh, look, the UI testing is is done for yeah. us. Like we didn't yeah. have to do anything. Um, so 
like even from that point of view and then automating screenshots so that way you always have up-to-date screenshots on the app store like all of that just plays into it uh with this initial set of uh time investment so um it there's quite a lot to accessibility and spencer you brought up some particular ones like uh dynamic text where you can change the font size um so what are the other ones that you found that you had to turn on or to tweak so that way you can go ahead and use your devices during these past yeah um for the most part, it was just dynamic text. There were a couple of times that I used the, like the magnify, I don't know what they call it, the magnifier or zoom, just zoom. Yeah. It just lets you mm-hmm. zoom on, on a particular uh, part of the screen. But for the most part, after the first few days, I could see well enough to just use dynamic text. Um, <laughs> that was very large, but, um, other than that, we've got things like, it's not necessarily an accessibility feature, but things to think about like uh, contrast ratios, making sure that your text is, is visible. You've, I'm sure you've probably seen this where there's like this hideous yellow background with some white text on it and you can barely make it out. Um, at, you know, and it's like, okay, well, if someone who has poor vision, how are they going to see it? If someone with normal vision um, can't see it at all. To yeah, it doesn't help that. you to make it bigger. <laughs> no. Yeah, Exactly. Um, so, you know, we've got things that are catered towards people with specific accessibility needs, but also it's not just about, um, that, but anyone can benefit from kind of this philosophy of having a well-designed app. And it really, like Dimitri said, makes you think about the app, like if you're going through and adding accessibility identifiers and labels for your UI testing, uh, that's a great sort of overlap there, um, but then it's also helping people that use voiceover switch control and all that. Um, so it's it's maybe a little bit less of an inve- time investment for those things for Apple's built-in accessibility features uh, than you may think if you're already sort of using those things as well. And and something that Apple has kind of been doing during the past, I would say, decade. How, how long has it been since iOS seven? Um, where they they are kind of pioneering their own road towards simplifying the user interface and getting rid of button shapes uh, Mm -hmm. and things like that. And they found the need to reintroduce many of these options as accessibility options. Um, So accessibility on the Mac and on iOS has sort of become, and I don't want to call it a a junk drawer, but it's it's kind of like the preferences of the old days where you would just customize your experience. All those customizations are now live in accessibility under the guise that uh, most people should be fine with this, but some people might not be. And that's where they're kind of throwing all these uh, different options. So if you've never visited the accessibility section of your Mac or iOS device, I invite you to go ahead and do so because there are a ton of options in there um, that can make make your usage of the device uh, better. Um, and some come with a whole bunch of changes all at once. Like there's a button shapes uh, one, but that will also put underlines all over the place and kind of make things a little hideous. At the same time, whereas Apple could have not needed this option or maybe had uh, make more obvious, uh, have an option that's called make more obvious or something like that, uh, where everything just had bun shapes from the be- to begin with like they used to. Um, so if you, ex- if you design accessibility first, like for everyone, then you tend to not need as many options. In fact, I've joked around that maybe Apple should ship with all these options on uh, and force you to go into a, min- a minimalist uh, section for those people that like things that are nice and clean and you can turn things off 
yeah. there because for the most part for everyone it makes their life easier for a lot of these options to be on and it's kind of silly that they start by default being off uh and they are categorized as accessibility because all that really does is yes it, it i guess it does bring people to the accessibility section but it also makes it harder for people that need like actual accessible features to find what they're looking for because it's hidden behind all these things that they probably just don't care about uh for the most part um so it's definitely a balance that you need to, uh, as an app developer, keep an eye on. Um, but it's it's not hard, and I, I want to dispel that as as early as possible. Like adding accessibility features, oftentimes, um, like in the case of dynamic text, as long as you don't custom like choose a font at, at for every label that you have in your app, your app supports dynamic text. Text. You might need to do some things to change some layouts for the larger sizes. And that's a fun design challenge, honestly. Like, it doesn't need mm-hmm. to look hideous. Um, in fact, the font doesn't need to take... Like, one letter doesn't need to be the size of the screen. That's not helpful to anyone. Uh, so you can set maximums to these uh, sizes, and you decide what to do in your app in certain cases. In fact, myself, I like to put the accessibility text all the way down so I can get a lot of more content on my screen. Right. Um, and that's because... Although I need glasses to see and I'm legally blind without them, um, you'll find the term legally blind is very liberously used. Um, but like, if I take off my glasses, I can't see two feet in front of me. But with my glasses, I can see like pixel perfect, super clear. So like, I, I make use of that. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, different people make use of different things. So uh, if, if you make the options available or if you design from the start to kind of have that, um, and perhaps consider the minimalist section of your preferences where you can turn everything off uh, and have something super clean and, and uh, no, no shapes or anything. It's just color, uh, <laughs> if that's what you want. Um, but yeah, I've, I've, I've lost track of where I was going. <laughs> no, I think that's awesome. And um, I think a perfect example of this, and one place that I saw didn't uh, really implement dynamic type very well was in uh, widgets specifically, um, where a lot of them would just kind of default, you know, have default um, text scaling, which was not great in a lot of cases. However, Apple's weather widget, which I think I've got on like the largest, um, the largest size, it's, you know, the rectangle, um, did really, really, it was great about, it changed the layout based on the dynamic text size where, um, normally it will give you like a seven day forecast. And I think, uh, it's, it's been a few weeks now. Um, I think it kind of shifted to about half of it was, it was a large uh, kind of current temperature. And then I think it gave you either the next three days or the next three something. And it was actually something that I could read, um, at a larger text size. So those, those tweaks to make it work with any layout, both smaller and larger than the normal text size, um, I think are awesome. And I, that, that one just stuck out to me because it was one of the few widgets that did that. Um, and like Dimitri said, we're kind of at a point where I think it was, was it iOS 13 or 12 where they started doing the, um, the text styles and it kind of automatically would, would have dynamic type enabled. So a lot of times you don't have to do much. If anything, the times when I've, I've messed with, or had to change things based on dynamic type and that the scaling of text, for example, was uh, 
letting your cells, for example, have a higher height and instead of having a fixed height, so the text could actually grow or, you know, have multi-line labels or something like that. But it's really um, not that hard. Uh, and you get a fair amount of benefit from both normal users, but also for people that really do uh, need that for whatever the reason is. Yeah, oftentimes it's it's basically switching between an H stack and a V stack. So mm -hmm. if you have things that are horizontally laid out, you if you have text in there, or even if you don't have text, if you have icons in there, as you make things bigger, they need more horizontal space on your screen. And horizontal space is at a premium. But vertical space is plenty of it, and oftentimes you can scroll. Uh, in fact, I would suggest make every screen that you work with a scroll view. Even if you don't need a scroll, it's going to save you whenever you need to make your UI work on like smaller screen devices. Or if people use the... there's Actually, actually when you uh, set up a phone for the first time, you're actually asked, do you want to use the phone at this bigger size where everything is ginormous? Right. And that's actually the original iPhone layout. Um, or do you want to use the native pixel resolution um, at 2x or at 3x? Uh, so if you choose the big version, like no apps work with that because no one bothers to check it. Um, in fact, if you've if you've kind of hopped on the iPhone train since day one, like that's the same horizontal screen space that's available to you. Um, so if you can lay things out well in that regard, where like you can change things from an H stack to a V stack and then have everything in a scroll view, so that way it will always be accessible if, if space runs out. Uh, that kind of covers you in most cases. So uh, in terms of layout, that's that's like my go-to technique is uh, anytime I know that there's going to be like multiple lines of text and it's not just one kind of layout uh, that's being set up, instantly scroll view because uh, you're going to need to scroll things eventually. Yeah. Um, not that everyone is always in this position, but um, I, I recently started basically, well, not recently, it's been a while. Um, during COVID, I started rewriting one of my apps um, because I wrote it years ago and I, I just have learned a, a lot since then. So the kind of one of my goals was to make it uh, as accessible as possible. And that was uh, implementing, you know, um, accessibility labels and identifiers, both for the UI testing side, but also uh, for the for the accessibility side of things and also doing exactly what Dimitri said, where um I've got a um, a popover controller on. It, it's an iPad app, so you've got a fair amount of, of screen real estate, but still, um, text is small, and so I put it in a scroll view. And normally, I was able to fit all of my settings on the screen at once at a normal text size. But again, as soon as you up the text size, it goes off the screen, and you can't see everything. So putting it in a, in a scroll view and allowing things to be laid out with as much uh, vertical height as they wanted, it basically solved it. So very simple things can um, really uh, fix or alleviate a lot of, I think, what we may initially perceive as this huge problem to implement accessibility. It, it really isn't that bad. Um, I just want to point out also, I'm no expert on accessibility. I definitely need to continue learning about it, and I don't know everything. But the the few things I have done with it, um, are much less tedious than I think a lot of people make it out to be, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. um, and here's a free idea if you work at Apple or if you make uh, Mac apps. Uh, anytime there's a window with a scroll view on the Mac, if that window is partially off screen, 
I would go ahead and say, like, I don't think anyone does this, uh, but I would go ahead and say you should go ahead and offset your scroll view a tiny bit so that way you can scroll that content on screen. Even if the window is, like, hanging off the edge, mm-hmm. the ability to be able to scroll it back in view, uh, that would be the perfect uh, accessibility feature to add because very often you run a space, so you kind of move one window over here, one window over there. Being able to just scroll rather than move the window back to, like, a main prime position that would solve the, like, most people would not want to move their window anymore because you don't need to if you can just kind of scroll it in place. So uh, fairly easy to uh, kind of implement and get all the details just right. And it will, like, the first time someone notices that your app does it, everything else will feel broken. So a free (laughs) idea for any Mac developers out there uh, to go ahead and add that. I think it will make a lot of people super happy. Uh, but going back to what you said about like getting better at dealing with accessibility, the only way to really do that is to use it. So yeah. um, if you go ahead and turn on voiceover um, on your phone while you're getting to get to know it, like you can go ahead and and uh, play around with it. But do look up Apple's like documentation on how voiceover works. There are a ton of gestures and special features that. Uh, voiceover users are going to be super comfortable with. They all know those. They've been using them for a decade and a half. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you don't know any of them. So if you say, oh, my app is accessible and you don't support uh, the ability to change headings really quickly to go to a different part of the content, then your app is going to feel broken to someone's... Ex- it's like as easy as scrolling. You would just scroll, but they can't necessarily scroll super quickly. It's just page at a page, page by page. So if they can jump to the bottom or jump to a certain section, that's like more than... Uh, useful. So uh, that is something that you can get better at by learning more about. Um, And one of the best features once you do start to use it more often is the screen current. So this will turn your screen black uh, and this will kind of force you to use it uh, like someone who can't see because you literally can't see your interface. You know your interface better than anyone because you haven't memorized. Um, (laughs) But uh, that kind of levels the playing field a little bit better uh, and allows you to kind of get lost in your own UI um, and try to navigate around. As long as you can like have someone pick a random screen and turn the screen current on and then you can navigate around and figure out where you are, uh, I would say that is a passing test for uh, you've done the bare minimum of adding uh, labels. Now, as as we said, it seems like a lot of work to go ahead and do all this. In terms of actually making your app accessible, it's finding all the buttons and stuff that just has images instead of text and giving them proper labels, telling the system what they are, um, identifying any custom controls that you wrote that are not buttons that behave like buttons. Tell the system, hey, this behaves like a button. Uh, Those are called accessibility traits. Um, Now, it works a little bit differently on the Mac side versus the iOS side, but the basic APIs are both there on each of them, so... And definitely go ahead uh, and audit your app. There are good tools in Xcode to go ahead and highlight with your mouse to kind of see like what every field has. Um, and I believe there's tools to audit it and to tell you which controls don't don't have any um, proper accessibility labels. So uh, that can really help you flesh out the details. Yeah, like Dimitri said, um, you've got the um, the I think it's called the accessibility inspector that's in Xcode. I think if you just hit the Xcode uh, menu and then it's it's like tools. Well, let me do it real quick. Um, Xcode open developer tool accessibility inspector. It's in the yep. doc too. Yep. 
Um, and then if you've got the simulator running, it's cool. You can uh, kind of have this little crosshair and just hover over any item in the, in, in the simulator or if you're running your Mac app and just see, does this have an, ident- an accessibility identifier label? Um, it'll, I think it'll give you colors. It's been a hot minute since I've used it, but a lot of good information there. You can also change the dynamic text size right from the accessibility identifier to make sure that things are scaling the way that they should be. And also um, things are actually scale. If the app is running, you change the text and, and kind of go back. So a lot of good stuff there. Um, yeah, they're all live, so you can instantly yeah. see the results. Um, so uh, also shout out to SwiftUI's um, previews. You can go ahead and set different dynamic type settings and see them all at once. So you can go ahead and see what your UI looks like in all sorts of different situations. One, this is a super cool screenshot for you to take for your own like marketing website. You can say, hey, look, I'm super accessible in terms of how I support this. And the people who need it, they will notice. Um, the people who don't need it, they will learn about something new that they didn't know existed. And then they will feel like everything else is ruined that doesn't support it. So right. um, there's, there's a lot of that going on here. So going back to uh, what you were saying with using your phone with like the, the screen curtain and everything. Um, mm-hmm. There are people that, you know, when they're used to that, they're using voiceover at like 400% speed. And they're just mm-hmm. very quickly going through the UI because that's how they navigate. I, As someone that could still see the screen, but had to jump, bump up the text size, it was frustrating for me. I can't even imagine when an app is inaccessible and they have to just scroll through a bunch of buttons that have no label that just says, you know, whatever button and it's not clear the intent of, of whatever you're trying to use in the app uh, for every UI element and not being able to navigate uh, in sort of sections like Dimitri talked about. That's something that would turn you off of using the app. So there's no reason that we should be doing that to other people, I guess is what I'm trying to get at. Mm-hmm. And and like we said from the beginning of this, like accessibility is not just the features for the people that uh, aren't 90% of your user base. Like it is, it is everything about your UI. Like uh, something that I like to point out to people is if you look at dark mode on the Mac, it's not actually that dark. In fact, it's quite bright, but it's just, since there's an absence of overwhelming white, you perceive it as dark. Um, so anytime you're building out a UI that should be dark, don't necessarily use pure black, uh, because that is not going to give you a lot of room uh, to have borders and shadows on things. And if you can't have borders and shadows on things, you don't have a lot of control over contrasts between different elements uh, and hierarchy. Uh, and that makes it harder to navigate your UI. It's not even a visual thing anymore. It's purely about conceptualizing how your UI is put together. Uh, and that falls apart as soon as you don't have all these visual cues to help it along. Um, so there's all sorts of cognitive levels uh, next to the visual ones and auditory ones uh, that can help put your app like together. Uh, for instance, there are a lot of apps that don't even know that your phone has a speaker. Uh, but then there are some that use it effectively. Any action that you do, they're going to make a little tiny sound that's focused on that action. Maybe they'll use haptic feedback, and although you can't hear it, it's still a sound, mm-hmm. though it's at a, such a low frequency that it vibrates your phone. Um, so using all those affordances help reinforce what is going on on the device, um, and they can help all sorts of people, whether you're 
like completely capable of seeing your screen, but you're kind of using your phone like out of your uh, per, out into your peripheral vision, you can know what's going on just by feeling it. Um, and that's that's a powerful thing. So if you design like this from the beginning, it makes it really easy to incorporate these really cool features, honestly. Um, and at first you might overdo it, like with everything, uh, just like with iOS, the iOS 6 era of designs, like UI designers, we overdid it when we were trying to have rich Caribbean leather on sure. our status bar. Um, <laughs> but uh, there's a lot that was effective there in terms of teaching people how to use this device that they didn't weren't necessarily used to. Um, and that's the whole reason why people are a whole lot more comfortable with iOS devices than full-blown computers. Um, and uh, it's it's due to that that they were able to get accustomed to it very quickly because it's it's what they knew. Um, so all of these aspects play into accessibility and it's important to kind of consider them all. Yeah. I, I sometimes wish that, I don't know how it would work, but I sometimes wish that we all as, as iOS developers had some mandatory lessons on, uh, you know, user interface design and user experience design and thinking about what is this contrast ratio? Does this make sense from a user perspective? Um, uh, you know, how, how to navigate through the app or, or whatever it is. Um, because I just will blaze through trying to make something and just kind of forget about a lot of that stuff. If I'm not from the start, you know, thinking, okay, how can I improve this accessibility? How can I, um, make this either? Well, yeah. And, and maybe I'm going to be ranting here a bit, but the, the human interface guidelines, Apple's HIG, uh, this used to be a very technical document, and it's turned into a very, uh, like, general uh, kind of loose guidance uh, kind of document over the years. It used to specify the exact amount of points that two buttons would be next to each other, or a button and a checkbox, and mm -hmm. all sorts of little technical details like this. And it went over uh, in terms of contrast, like how thick do your uh, line segments need to be for it to be contrast, like high enough contrast with this foreground color and this background color like the, that used to be spelled out for us uh in the hig and it's it's not anymore yeah. um not that i not that i've noticed um and i haven't read it recently ever since it got like more and more uh general purpose and not super technical i've been reading it less and less um but i actually enjoyed uh, that so if anyone wants to write like highly focused technical documentation on what people should look out for uh, in terms of checklists and while they're building their app like I think that will be very much appreciated yeah going to the human interface guidelines it's it's been a while since I've looked at them but it does have some good information in there like I just brought up the uh, the visual design part of it and it says you know uh, use color judiciously for communication kind of use color for calling to attention or um, making sure that your color looks good, con probably more contrast-wise than anything in both light and dark modes. So there, there's good information in here that's not necessarily, um, well, yeah, it, it's just good design, both for, well, for anyone, really, I guess is what I'm trying mm -hmm. to say. It's a good primer. Yes, exactly. And it talks, it'll talk about, let's see, if we go to... It'll introduce you to a bunch of these topics, so that way you know that you can look further into them. Right typography seeing you know when do you want to use uh, like monospace fonts and it'll actually show you how things scale with dynamic text sizes so 
uh, like going from a size in points, uh, kind of translating to the styles that we have from like um, extra small to extra, extra, extra large. Um, and then, or sorry, those are the, the sizes and then the styles are like caption, title, title one, whatever, um, kind of giving you a more or less idea of how things could scale. Maybe that would help in mocking things up. If you were using like Sketch or Figma, you could grab those text sizes and play around mm -hmm. with it before you throw it into Xcode if, if that's kind of your thing. So they've got, there's good information in there for sure, um, really for anything. And it's, like Dimitri said, it's not necessarily quite as specialized, um, but like it, like Dimitri also said, it's a good primer. And I've I've actually been using like accessibility features my entire time, like using a Mac. Um, some of my favorites are like the screen zoom. Uh, so if you don't know, you can configure the control key uh, to be hooked up to your scroll wheel. Uh, so basically, anytime you want to zoom in on something, you just hit control and then scroll up, and your whole screen will zoom in. Um, at that point, there are a ton of different options here. You can have it zoom in in a window. You can have it follow the mouse. You can have it only move when the mouse hits an edge. All sorts of different settings there uh, that are useful to uh, go ahead and configure. Um, and I've been using that like always. I always have closed captioning on uh, whenever I'm like watching something. And that's just purely because I can't comprehend people uh, without like seeing them talk to me. Um, and like I'm horrible on the phone, for instance. So having having something where I can read what they're saying at the same time that they're saying it uh, often helps me understand what's going on. Otherwise, I just can't hear them. Uh, and, and this is despite the fact that I can hear fine. Uh, it's like a purely cognitive thing. So uh, having extra helpings uh, there uh, are, is super useful, being able to customize a font. Uh, for instance, I'm dyslexic and a lot of letters are just confusing to me and I won't even notice I pressed the wrong one. Um, so having a different font for different use cases, especially when I'm like coding, uh, can help me uh, be able to read my own code better. Um, and although it might look horrendous for someone else, it's preferences for myself. So uh, that's something that I will always go ahead and set the ability to change size on a moment's notice, command plus, command minus. Um, those are also super useful features uh, that I will use constantly. Um, so it's it's... Although you may not think that you need accessibility features, it can be super useful to everyone is, I guess, the point I'm trying to get across. Yeah, no, that that actually reminds me um, regarding dyslexia. I, I've recently, recently been playing a, a game on, like a, a PC game called Loop Hero. Super fun, but anyway, it's, it's very, um, like, pixel, it, it's pixelated. It looks like, you know, like an 8-bit, 16-bit game. Um, and the, it's it's pretty basic as far as the settings go, but there is a dyslexic-friendly font. And I'm not dyslexic, but um, the normal kind of pixelated font made my eye, like it was hard to read after I was playing for a while. So I turned that on and it actually helped me be able to kind of read the text um, easier. So uh, just because it's, you know, made for what whoever specifically, it can help you too. Um, like Dimitri talked about, I, I use the, the control zoom when I was teaching live um, on a projector because it was easy to kind of focus in on one part. Um, on the iPhone, for example, uh, back tap is in the accessibility menu. And I used that for a while for um, accessing the, I think it was the control center. I don't think it was notification center, um, you know, to turn on the flashlight easier without having to kind of 
weirdly hold my phone and and you know swipe up from the top corner so lots of good features that anyone can really benefit from this week's episode of coach completion is brought to you by super easy timer super easy timer is a quick and easy to use timer app for your mac it's completely text-based so you can type in english what you want 20 minutes or 5 p.m hit enter and instantly start a timer the timer understands english text to create update and start a new timer you can quickly change an active countdown even while it's still counting down there's simple keyboard shortcuts to reset or pause, but otherwise no menus, no sliders, just use English to control your timer. We want to thank Super Easy Timer for sponsoring our show. Search for Super Easy Timer on the Mac App Store today to give it a try. And now that we've gone through our topics, it's time for Complete the Code, where we quiz our listeners on your knowledge of Swift, Apple, and all things development. Spencer? Yeah, so last week we had the Objective-C error handling question, and we asked what could go wrong with it. Uh, so we do have a winner uh, this week, and that is Frank, who writes, the if statement should be testing result, not the error, which is completely correct. Uh, since some methods may set an error prematurely, but still return success if they were able to recover from the error, um, not to mention pre-arc, the variable you could pass in could have been initialized to garbage memory. Um, so this week we have an open-ended accessibility-related question for you. Uh, so if you're listening to the podcast, please check the podcast art or the show notes as always to follow along. Uh, so given the Swift UI button below, how could you make it accessible? So can you complete the code? Tweet your answers to us with hashtag complete the code, all one word. Uh, the goal of this one is to show you how easy it is to add accessibility. So uh, like there will be multiple winners uh, depending on how many different uh, solutions uh, people submit. Um, so the f- go ahead and uh, tweet at us and we look forward to seeing your answers. So as always, I want to personally thank everyone for listening in this week. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Code Completion to know when new episodes get released and feel free to tweet at us if there's ever a topic you'd like for us to dig into. Most importantly, as a small podcast, please be sure to share this with your friends and family who are also interested in any part of the process of app development. It's your support that enables us to continue doing this, and we hope to grow a healthy community around everything we discuss. Once again, I want to give my thanks to Spencer, who is at Spencer C. Curtis, that's S-P-E-N-C-E-R-C-C-U-R-T-I-S on Twitter, for joining me this week. My name, once again, is Dimitri. You can find me at Dimitri Buñol, that's D-I-M-I-T-R-I-B-O-U-N-I-O-L, and we'll see you all next week. Bye. Weird what people Start will pay. That. I saw that someone bought like a an NES cartridge of one of the Mario games for one and a half million dollars the other day. Mm-hmm. You're gonna put yeah, it on a people, shelf and not people even... are saying that's that's money laundering. <laughs> like, yeah, it's there, there's something fishy going on there that they're using that as a front. <laughs> yeah, that and like NFTs. Seriously, oh my gosh, the amount of people money people are spending to claim ownership rights on an image that is. distributed everywhere (laughs) makes no sense it's a weird thing people are making such bank from it someone made like 69 million dollars from one of his it was like one image of like a thousand images or something that he had made over well once a day or something and he made like 69 million dollars well it's good for him Uh, being an artist finally paid off (laughs) take that mom for for one person (laughs) yeah well, that's, that's usually how it works for art. <laughs> True, good point. It pays off for one person, that's about it. <laughs> Oftentimes when you're dead. Uh, it's it's really unfortunate that we, as a result, put no, uh, no uh, concentration on the arts. 
like it it would be useful for app development if you know if you know your basics on good composition you know right uh but can't practice any of that stem all the way nowadays look how often we use math (laughs) i'm just kidding yeah and yeah i was i was super bummed because that's kind of what i was going into for college and i just realized like i suck at this like this is bad i can't do any of this stuff so Mm -hmm. yeah i wish i could because it's it really is like i said something that i wish we were all better as developers in in general i think there are great developers who who are but um, a lot of times i just the design sense just slips me by and i'm like i don't know this is easy and it looks okay to me but then someone comes around they're like yeah this is garbage i'm like okay (laughs) sorry well, oftentimes it's just practice, right? And training your eye to spot yeah. good designs. And one, once you ruin your own ability to like see things without a critical eye, then then you can start practicing on your own stuff because anything you make, you'll be like, this is garbage. I'm never showing this out to the world. And then you either stop there or you continue practicing. It's yeah, definitely. Usually one to... of the two options. Right, yeah. Definitely have to be like, impartial to yourself i guess i guess that's why like designing in figma or something is nice because it's like quick iterations and you get less attached Mm -hmm. yeah it definitely takes a lot of effort to get good at design it's not something that happens overnight and i feel like every designer looks at their past work and be like what was i thinking how did i think that was a good idea just like our code i guess yeah, it's like with practice, you get better at it and your your eye for it gets better. And as a result, you hold yourself to higher standards and you have to deliver on the standards. Right. So, which um, I think is easier now with all the tools that we have available. 